Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Everybody have a great July 4th weekend. All right, good. I want to start with this. Everybody loves a hero, right? I mean, you just think about it. The word hero is attractive. It's compelling. It makes us smile when we think about a hero. And it's not just kids who love a hero. It's adults. I mean, the big bucks being spent this summer on blockbuster superhero movies are paid for by people like you and me. It's adults who go to Comic-Con, right? Biggest convention, one of the biggest conventions in the world where you have grown men and women dressing up like superheroes. I mean, a good superhero, a good superhero story just never gets old, does it? And I think most people want to live a heroic life. I mean, I want to live a heroic life. I don't want to waste my life. I want my life to matter. I want it to have some kind of significant meaning. But did you know that if you want to be a superhero, At the foundation of all superheroes, if you study the superhero genre, the biggies, the main ones, the ones we all know about, at their foundation is some pain and some messiness. I mean, think about it. You've got Batman. Batman's parents were killed right in front of him. Spider-Man was raised by his aunt after his parents were murdered. Superman was adopted after his planet was destroyed. That had to be a bummer, right? You got Iron Man. Iron Man had an unpleasable dad. The Hulk, okay, obviously some severe anger issues going on there. Luke Skywalker had an evil father. Napoleon Dynamite was lactose intolerant, okay? (laughs) Behind every superhero's costume, there is some pain. There is some messiness. Now, let's just be honest here. I think most of us in here, we want the super and the hero part, but we don't want the pain and the mess part, right? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Let me see if you're awake here. Okay, we want the super and the hero part, but we don't want the pain and the mess part, right? Right, yeah. And because we know what it is to be in pain, we kind of take pain, push it aside. That's understandable. Nobody likes to be in pain. But when I say mess, what do you think of? What, What immediately comes to your mind? Let's have a little audience participation here. Mess, what do you think of? What's that? Family troubles. Spouse? Let's just get right into it here. Don't pull any punches. My teenager's room. Oh, nice. Okay. What's that? Neighbors. Neighbors. <laughs> you, know, you know, I think about my outer world, and there's no doubt that sometimes my outer world can be messy. But if I'm going to be really honest with you, my inner world where my soul and my faith collide, that's actually pretty messy too. It's messier than I want it to be. For example, I know that I should have deeper, more consistent conversations with Jesus all throughout my day, to do every moment of my days with Jesus, to abide in him continuously, but I'm not always there. Or I know that I should be more compassionate toward those who are hurting than I am. And I could be more generous with my finances than I am. And even though I know better theologically, I still live with doubts and fears and insecurities in my mind. And and oftentimes that's reflected in how I think. I end up thinking messy thoughts up here. I remember many, many years ago when I was a youth pastor, way back when dinosaurs were running around, okay? I was going away on a youth retreat over the weekend. It was a junior high youth retreat. And I just wasn't into it. I mean, I was just drained physically, emotionally, spiritually. I just wasn't wanting to be there. 
And right as we were leaving, one of the parents gleefully reminded us all that it was daylight savings time weekend. That meant we get an extra hour of rest on Saturday night, right? And I'm thinking, really? Where's the justice in this world, Lord? Because if you've ever been on a junior high youth retreat, you know what I was doing Saturday night, okay? I was chasing junior high kids all around the place for an extra hour. I didn't get an extra hour rest. And so here I am, I know this, I'm in this church van with a bunch of rowdy junior high kids in the back and I'm driving to this remote retreat center. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, if I were to kill these kids, this would be a great place to bury them, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, okay? I, I love being a youth pastor. I love junior high kids. But my attitude, that was not right in that moment. Hi, I'm Brian and I'm pretty messy. And you are too. I mean, I'd ask for a show of hands, but there would be those who are honest and those who are self-deluded. Come on, think about it. I mean, every one of us, we've all made spiritual commitments that, that we didn't keep in life. In fact, you probably sat at church before and go, man, I'm never gonna do that again, never again. You know, fill in the blank, whatever your sin is. And like a week later, you slip up. You're like, ah, oh, I'm there again. We all have our issues. We all make these spiritual commitments and then we fall short. And here's what happens. When you and I make spiritual commitments that we don't keep, you know what we do? We end up thinking, ah, oh, I'm just not a very good Christian. And how many of you have ever said or thought that? I'm just not a very good Christian. Raise your hands. Yeah, you're right. You're not, okay? <clears throat> I'm kidding, sort of. But one of the reasons I love, love, love the Bible is because the Apostle Paul, for example, he's a spiritual superhero, but he goes public with his messiness. He goes public with his pain. If you're not familiar with Paul, Paul was arguably the most passionate follower of Jesus in the entire New Testament. And yet at times he sounds a little spiritually tortured. In Romans 7, he says this, I don't really understand myself. You ever thought that before? Paul says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but, but I don't do it. Instead, I, want to, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does, does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, he's perfectly describing this battle of inconsistency that lives within each and every one of us. This concept is not foreign to our biblical heroes, okay? And, and I mean, the Bible is just filled with messy people, messy heroes. And the flaws of those spiritual heroes, guess what? They're not edited out. You know the ones who edit and modify them? It's a lot of preachers. It's a lot of teachers who do that. They kind of leave out some of the details. I mean, you've heard the story of Noah, right? Noah was faithful. He was courageous. He did what nobody else did. He built an ark in the middle of nowhere. And we lift him up as this incredible pillar of faithfulness, but we don't tell the whole story. You see, Noah, as soon as he gets off that boat, what does he do? He gets drunk and naked, okay? I mean, you gotta love that. He's 601 years old. I think he should know better, right? You didn't learn that in Sunday school, did you? No, drunk and naked were not on any flannel graph lesson that I remember, all right? But could it be that Noah, yes, indeed, he was strong. He was faithful. But even the strong and the faithful have moments of pain and messiness. When I mean, you think about those who were closest to Jesus, the disciples, at times they were some messy dudes. I mean, they're spiritual superheroes, but at times you read about them, they come off as total buffoons. I mean, think about this. For three years, three years, they traveled everywhere with Jesus. You know what that means? They heard every conversation. They heard every sermon, they saw every miracle, but you read about them and it seems like their life comes across more like a Three Stooges script than scripture. I mean, think about this, it's, it's just amazing. 
I mean, over and over again, I could tell you so many stories. They're, they're arguing about who's the greatest of all the disciples. Really, after all of Jesus' teachings, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he tells his closest followers, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Okay, if you know the story, just a few hours later, Peter gets intimidated by a little teenage girl. He denies he even knows Jesus three times. On that very same night, right before Jesus was gonna be crucified, he called together his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He said, guys, I want you to pray for me. I want you to keep watch here while I go into the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, Jesus said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And what do they do? Well, they fall asleep. Not once, but twice. And then in verse 51, when Jesus is arrested, it says, one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. That was Peter, by the way. Now you're going to pull out your sword and just get the guy's ear? <laughs> I'm sure he was going for the neck, but you know, he'd only fallen asleep twice. He probably needed more sleep just to finish the job. I mean, think about this, people. After all the messages these guys had heard about what? Turn the other cheek? Love your enemies? At the very first sign of conflict, they're pulling out swords. Can we agree that the disciples were in some way a holy mess? Yeah, I think so. I mean, on and on and on it goes. Now, we might be tempted to think, and I've heard this every once in a while, that, you know, once Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, then the Holy Spirit is living in Christians full time, that people would be less messy? Maybe not. Which leads us to a book that we've been studying off and on this year, 1 Corinthians. A couple months ago, I did a series called Culture Shock. And in that series, I kind of laid the foundation for the book of 1 Corinthians. And what was so remarkable about the book of 1 Corinthians was the fact that the city of Corinth was so similar to our modern culture today. I mean, in this particular book, Paul grapples with topics that are hot topics in our world today. Things like greed, materialism, factions, religious pluralism, multiculturalism, human divisiveness, a fractured society, extreme sexual activity and scandal, gender roles, how men and women are to relate to each other in the church and in the home. I mean, it's mind-boggling how similar our cultures really are. And without a doubt, the church at Corinth was a holy mess. And so over a couple of weeks ago, I just went through the entire book of Corinthians and just pulled out some of the highlights, okay? Some of Paul's comments to the church. And I think as I share these with you here, you're gonna see exactly what I'm talking about. The very beginning of the book, this is chapter one, verse 11. Paul says this, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Okay, so quarreling was an issue. Then he goes on, brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, not a compliment. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? So you've got spiritual immaturity. You've got jealousy. You've got quarrels going on. Some of you have become arrogant. Okay, there's another one to add to the list. 
Moving right along. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Your boasting is not good. Yikes. I mean, sexual immorality, I mean, at that degree, right? Even the pagans don't do this and they're proud of it. They're boasting about it. Paul's not done, okay? One brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Lawsuits, bad witness to unbelievers. There's more. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself, he says. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay, that was extremely common in that culture and in that church, hooking up with prostitutes. He goes on. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch. Imagine if Jesus came in and said that about our church. Your meetings, your church gatherings do more harm than good. Man. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you divisions in church meetings. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Drinking, not just drinking in church, drunkenness in church. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. All right, one more, one final rebuke from Paul here. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Tell us how you really feel, Paul. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, can we all agree that the church at Corinth was a holy mess? Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Amen. Now, why tell you all this? Why? Well, it's because messiness If you're experiencing it, if you're experiencing messiness, you and I, guess what? We have something in common with the Old Testament saints. We have something in common with those who are closest to Jesus, the disciples. We have something in common with Paul. We have something in common with those in the early church. You and I are not alone in our messiness. And here's what I'm leading up to. I don't think you can be an everyday hero until you come to grips with your everyday messiness. Let me say that again. I think it's pretty good. You can't be an everyday hero until you come to grips with your everyday messiness. Now, think about the superheroes that we've enjoyed in comics and movies. You know, one of my favorite parts is when they discover their superpower, right? Isn't that a cool moment when all of a sudden Superman realizes he can fly or Spider-Man's like going, right? I mean, how fun would that be? That is an awesome moment when they discover those superpowers. And I think the same thing is true for Christians when they finally discover this, that God loves you in the midst of your messiness, that God loves you in spite of your messiness. In fact, God's power is available to you in your messiness. What a great moment when you finally realize that God doesn't run from you. He doesn't run from your pain and your messiness. He actually moves in in those moments. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10. Here, Paul talks a little bit more about his own messiness. 
And he says this, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me. If you have a pen, you might circle special favor because that's grace. That's what grace is. And then he goes on. He says this, and it's not without results for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Okay, a little bit braggy there, but he goes on. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Okay, over in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this thing he had. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. And we know from the context, it was a spiritual attack of some sort, but it was really, really, really bothering Paul. And listen to what Paul says. He says, three different times I begged, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time God said, my grace is all you need. Now I want us to read the next six words together. Can we do that? My power works best in weakness. I want you to let that settle in. Let's say that again. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, when you really get your arms around your own messiness, that's when you actually feel the arms of Jesus around you. I mean, people get this backwards all the time. They think, no, no, when I'm messy, Jesus pushes me away. Oh, no, 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 no. When you get your arms around your own messiness, that's when you feel the embrace of God the most because he is pulling you in. He is drawing you in because he wants to help you in those moments. It's the kind of God he is. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm teaching here. Okay, I am not suggesting that God condones our sins, that God condones our faults, that God condones our unbiblical living. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. God doesn't condone our messiness. He redeems it. God doesn't condone our messiness. He redeems it. Over time, Jesus transforms your messiness into holiness. So instead of allowing that messiness to defeat you, to paralyze you, so you're going, ah, I'm just not a very good Christian. I mean, I could never be like that. You know, Pastor Dan, man, he's, he's a great Christian. I could never be like him. No, an everyday hero understands that mess is actually the fertilizer for spiritual growth. Mess is the fertilizer for spiritual growth. You know, holiness is God's will. That's God's desire for you. Take a look at Hebrews 10.10. 10. It says this, for God's will was for us to be made holy. Now, how are we made holy? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, the word holy, I gotta explain this to you, okay? Get your thinking caps on. The word holy, it simply means to be set apart, to be set apart. So let's pretend for just a minute here that this side of the room over here, this represents evil, okay? This is sin. This is unbiblical living. Sorry, guys, okay? <laughs> just representing, all right? Let's say that this side of the room represents sin, okay? Holiness means to be set apart. So watch, watch this. I'm gonna be set apart from that. That's what holiness is, right? That's being set apart. And so this whole process of me being set apart, moving further and further away from sin, it's actually a theological term called sanctification. Now, before I lose you, look at your notes. I'm gonna define sanctification for you here. We're gonna go a little deeper theologically. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. 
So messy people becoming holy, that is sanctification. But theologians talk about two different types of sanctification. I put them both in your notes. There's positional sanctification, right? That happens the moment you put your faith in Christ. And then there's progressive sanctification, okay? That's your whole life as you continue to walk with Christ. Let me explain positional sanctification first. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, right? You say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again. I believe you've given me the gift of eternal life. The moment you do that, the Bible says that you are placed in Christ. It's one of the most common terms for Christians in the New Testament, that you are in Christ. What does that mean? It means that now when God looks at you, he sees Jesus's holiness covering you. So because of your position in Christ, you're considered holy. As a Christian, I'm not positionally holy, positionally sanctified because of anything I did. It's all because of what Jesus did for me. Are you tracking with me? Okay, that's positional holiness. That's positional sanctification. But what we're talking about here today, turning your messiness into holiness, that's progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is when my character and my lifestyle is being more and more holy. By the power of God's spirit living in me, I'm actually living more like Jesus each and every day. Now I recognize this is a little heady, so let me illustrate this for you. How many of you grew up with a Polaroid camera around your house? Raise your hands up really high. Be proud, okay? Good. This is what they used to look like, all right? And this is what they look like now, okay? Kind of the modern version. And about a year ago, my youngest son, this is actually his camera, he came up to me and said, Dad, I just got the coolest thing, right? This Polaroid camera. I mean, you've never seen anything like this before. They're like brand new, just out. Yeah, right. Isn't it funny how things kind of make their way back around? Well, the Polaroid cameras kind of made its way back around amongst the younger crowd, along with fanny packs, cargo shorts, cargo pants, which some of you look like you didn't know cargos went out of style. <clears throat> way to go. You powered through. You're back in style again. It's all good. But if you're here and you've never operated one of these before, it's very simple, right? You just got a little button here. Right, let's see if I can take a selfie. I don't even know if those were a thing back then. So you kind of just shoot, right? You get blinded by the flash. Okay. And, and out comes this little piece of cardboard. It's an undeveloped image. Okay, that's what it is. And so you, you pull this little piece of cardboard out. And then for those of you who had a Polaroid camera, what do you do next? What do you do with it? Yeah, you shake it, right? You shake it, you shake it, you shake it. And then gradually, slowly but surely, this image appears. People, that's like progressive sanctification. You tracking? When I was in college, my freshman year in college, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I was positionally sanctified, positionally made holy, which means God looks at me and says, you know what? I'm considering you holy because Jesus' blood, it covered your sin. You were found in Christ. But guess what? That was my positional sanctification. But if you looked at my life day in and day out, it's like, okay, it didn't quite look like Jesus. And so God, he, he takes this picture of me and he starts shaking it. And he's shaking it and shaking it. After a couple of years, he looks down and goes, nope, nope. Still resembles too much of Brian. Keep shaking, right? <clears throat> a few years later, he looks down. No, nope, not there yet. Okay, keep shaking. We're going to change him until one day he resembles more of Jesus than anything else. So he shakes and he shakes and he shakes and that's progressive sanctification. Now you would think that eventually God's arm would get tired of shaking Brian, right? I'm sure he is. No, God doesn't get tired of that. You know what? God never tires of changing you and I from the inside out. 
he just keeps shaking. And with every shake, he says, you know what? I love you. I love you so much. I don't want you to stay the same. I'm gonna change you into something beautiful. That's God's dream for an everyday hero, to be changed to reflect the very image of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us, notice that's present tense, makes us more and more like him as we are, what? Changed into his glorious image. People, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, here's the good news. You don't have to get all cleaned up in order to experience God's tremendous love for you. That's such a misnomer. I hear people say that all the time. You know, once I get my act together, then I'm gonna investigate Jesus. Or when I pull it all together, stop the bleeding in my life, that's when I'm gonna go to church. No, 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 no. That's backwards. That's crazy. You don't try to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to get cleaned up. You know, I thought our household was the only one that was that crazy because what we'll do periodically, we will have a house cleaner come into our house. And I dread those days because my wife insists that we clean the house in preparation for the house cleaner. <clears throat> now think about this. So we are busy cleaning the house in preparation for a house cleaner that I am paying to come and clean the house. Never made sense to me. Anybody else in here crazy like that? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Praise God. Well, here's the good news. With Jesus, you don't have to get cleaned up first. Now, the cleaning process begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus. He takes that snapshot, and that, at that very moment, you get positional sanctification, positional holiness. And then you start following Jesus, and that's progressive sanctification. And here, people, is why I want you to get this so, so badly. I mean, there's very little that burdens my heart like this. I am so tired. I'm so saddened when I see people who had faith give up. Why? Because they become spiritually paralyzed by their own messiness. I mean, I hear this all the time in my counseling, whether it's parenting or marriage, people constantly feel like failures. And I try to tell people all the time, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. Perfection is unattainable. Why? Because one sinner marries another sinner and they have little sinnerlings, all right? <clears throat> we should expect the mess, but don't be defeated by it. You can expect the mess, but just don't be defeated by it. So how can we be messy and not defeated by it? How can we add holiness to our holy mess? How do we become that everyday hero? Well, that's where we're headed next week, okay? To be continued, <clears throat> stay tuned, all right? Same bat time, same bat channel. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just in awe of your incredible love and your incredible patience with me and with all of your saints throughout the ages. From Genesis to Revelation, your people, those who call upon your name, they're messy. But God, you redeem messiness. In fact, it's all you have to work with here on this planet. And I just thank you so much that you love us in the midst of our messiness. In fact, while we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your son Jesus to die for us. So God, I thank you that the moment we put our faith in you, you begin that cleaning up process. And ultimately, because we are found in Christ, we are holy positionally. But our lives just don't always look that way. We don't always live like Jesus. 
So God, we just ask that you would continue to shake us and shake us and shake us that slowly but surely we would be changed into the image of your son. Thank you, Lord, that you never get tired of working with us. No matter how many times we stumble, no matter how many times we fall, your grace is sufficient. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you're just frustrated because you keep stumbling, you keep falling. You need to know that God loves you, that God is right there with you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to help you. He wants to redeem that messiness. He's not judging you. He wants to help. He wants to let his Holy Spirit come and work in your life in a powerful way. So don't give up. Don't give up. You can expect messiness, but just don't give up. And slowly but surely, just as that image develops with the Polaroid picture, slowly but surely, the image will develop. And it may be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, but we can look back and go, wow, I am a little more like Jesus. And then one day, that glorious day, we will be transformed into the very image of Christ. And that'll be a wonderful thing. So God, as we go forward in this series and we talk about how to live with the messiness, how to redeem that, how to become more and more holy, as we look at the church in Corinth, we just pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, that we would not be just hearers of the word, but doers. It's in Jesus' name we pray.